Section 3 of Celebrated Crimes, Volume 8, Part 2, Veninka by Alexandre Dumas, translated by George Burnham Ives. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Section 3 One day the general had to attend a review. He sent for Gregory before daybreak, and as the barber was passing the razor as gently as possible over his master's cheek, the conversation fell, or more likely was led, on fitter. The barber praised him highly, and this naturally caused his master to ask him, remembering the correction the young aide-de-camp had superintended, if he could not find some fault in this model of perfection that might counterbalance so many good qualities. Gregory replied that, with the exception of pride, he thought Fetter irreproachable. "'Pride?' asked the astonished general. "'That is a failing from which I should have thought him most free.' "'Perhaps.' I should have said ambition, replied Gregory. Ambition, said the general. It does not seem to me that he has given much proof of ambition in entering my service, for after his achievements in the last campaign, he might easily have aspired to the honor of a place in the emperor's household. Oh, yes, he is ambitious, said Gregory, smiling. One man's ambition is for high position, another's an illustrious alliance. The former will owe everything to himself, the latter will make a stepping-stone of his wife, then they raise their eyes higher than they should. "'What do you mean to suggest?' said the general, beginning to see what Gregory was aiming at. "'I mean, Your Excellency,' replied Gregory, there are many men who, owing to the kindness shown them by others, forget their position and aspire to a more exalted one. Having already been placed so high, their heads are turned. "'Gregory,' cried the general, "'believe me, you are getting into a scrape, for you are making an accusation, and if I take any notice of it, you will have to prove your words.' "'By St. Basilius, General,' It is no scrape when you have truth on your side, for I have said nothing I am not ready to prove. Then, said the general, you persist in declaring that Fetter loves my daughter. Ah, I have not said that. It is your excellency. I have not named the lady Vaninka, said Gregory with the duplicity of his nation. But you meant it, did you not? come contrary to your custom reply frankly it is true your excellency it is what i meant and according to you my daughter reciprocates the passion no doubt i fear so your excellency and what makes you think this say first mr fetter never misses a chance of speaking to the lady vaninka he is in the same house with her. Would you have him avoid her? When the Lady Vaninka returns late, and when perchance Mr. Furder has not accompanied you, whatever the hour, Mr. Furder is there, ready to help her out of the carriage. Furder attends me. It is his duty, said the general, beginning to believe that the serf's suspicions were founded on slight grounds. He waits for me he continued, because when I return at any hour of the day or night, I may have orders to give him. 
not a day passes without mr furder going into my lady vaninka's room although such a favour is not usually granted to a young man in a house like that of your excellency uh, usually it is i who send him to her said the general yes in the daytime replied gregory but at night at night cried the general rising to his feet and turning so pale that after a moment he was forced to lean for support on a table yes at night your excellency answered gregory quietly and since as you say i have begun to mix myself up in a bad business i must go on with it besides even if there were to result from it another punishment for me even more terrible than that i have already endured i should not allow so good a master to be deceived any longer be careful about what you are going to say slave for i know the men of your nation take care if the accusation you are making by way of revenge is not supported by visible palpable and positive proofs you shall be punished as an infamous slanderer to that i agree said gregory do you affirm that you have seen further enter my daughter's chamber at night i do not say that i have seen him enter it your excellency i say that i have seen him come out when was that a quarter of an hour ago when i was on my way to your excellency you lie said the general raising his fist this is not our agreement your excellency said the slave drawing back i am only to be punished if i fail to give proofs but what are your proofs i have told you and do you expect me to believe your word alone no but i expect you to believe your own eyes how the first time that mr fedder is in my lady vaninka's room after midnight i shall come to find your excellency and then you can judge for yourself if i lie but up to the present your excellency all the conditions of the service i wish to render you are to my disadvantage in what way well if i fail to give proofs i am to be treated as an infamous slanderer but if i give them what advantage shall i gain a thousand roubles and your freedom that is a bargain then your excellency replied gregory quietly replacing the razors on the general's toilet table and i hope that before a week has passed you will be more just to me than you are now with these words the slave left the room leaving the general convinced by his confidence that some dreadful misfortune threatened him from this time onward as might be expected the general weighed every word and noticed every gesture which passed between vaninka and fedor in his presence but he saw nothing to confirm his suspicions on the part of the aide-de-camp or of his daughter on the contrary vaninka seemed colder and more reserved than ever a week passed in this way about two o'clock in the morning of the ninth day someone knocked at the general's door it was gregory if your excellency will go into your daughter's room said gregory you will find mr furder there the general turned pale dressed himself without uttering a word and followed the slave to the door of vaninka's room 
Having arrived there, with a motion of his hand, he dismissed the informer, who, instead of retiring in obedience to this mute command, hid himself on the corner of the corridor. When the general believed himself to be alone, he knocked once. But all was silent. This silence, however, proved nothing, for Vaninka might be asleep. He knocked a second time, and the young girl, in a perfectly calm voice, asked, "'Who is there?' "'It is I,' said the general, in a voice trembling with emotion. "'Anushka,' said the girl to her foster sister, who slept in the adjoining room, "'open the door to my father. Forgive me, father,' she continued, "'but Anushka is dressing and will be with you in a moment.' The general waited patiently, for he could discover no trace of emotion in his daughter's voice, and he hoped that Gregory had been mistaken. In a few moments the door opened, and the general went in, and cast a long look around him. There was no one in this first apartment. Vaninka was in bed, paler perhaps than usual, but quite calm, with the loving smile on her lips with which she always welcomed her father. "'To what fortunate circumstance?' asked the young girl in her softest tones. "'Do I owe the pleasure of seeing you at so late an hour?' "'I wish to speak to you about a, a very important matter,' said the general. "'And, however late it was, I thought you would forgive me for disturbing you.' "'My father will always be welcome in this daughter's room, at whatever hour of the day or night he presents himself there.' The general cast another searching look around, and was convinced that it was impossible for a man to be concealed in the first room, but the second still remained. "'I am listening,' said Vaninka, after a moment of silence. "'Yes, but we are not alone,' replied the general. "'And it is important that no other ears should hear what I have to say to you.' Anushka as you know is my foster sister said vaninka that makes no difference said the general going candle in hand into the next room which was somewhat smaller than his daughter's anushka said he watch in the corridor and see that no one overhears us as he spoke these words the general threw the same scrutinizing glance all round the room, but with the exception of the young girl there was no one there. Anushka obeyed, and the general followed her out, and looking eagerly round for the last time, re-entered his daughter's room, and seated himself at the foot of her bed. Anushka, at a sign from her mistress, left her alone with her father. The general held out his hand to Vaninka, and she took it without hesitation. "'My child,' said the general, I have to speak to you about a very important matter. What is it, father? said Vaninka. You will soon be eighteen, continued the general, and that is the age at which the daughters of the Russian nobility usually marry. The general paused for a moment to watch the effect of these words upon Vaninka, but her hand rested motionless in his. "'For the last year your hand has been engaged by me,' continued the general. "'May I know to whom?' asked Vaninka coldly. "'To the son of the counsellor in ordinary,' replied the general. "'What is your opinion of him?' "'He is a worthy and noble young man, I am told. 
but i can have formed no opinion except from hearsay has he not been in garrison at moscow for the last three months yes said the general but in three months time he should return Vaninka remained silent have you nothing to say in reply asked the general nothing father but i have a favour to ask of you what is it i do not wish to marry until i am twenty years old why not i have taken a vow to that effect but if circumstances demanded the breaking of this vow and made the celebration of this marriage imperatively necessary what circumstances asked vaninka fedor loves you said the general looking steadily at vaninka i know that said vaninka with as little emotion as if the question did not concern her you know that cried the general yes he has told me so when yesterday and you replied that he must leave here at once and he consented yes father when does he go he has gone how how can that be said the general he only left me at ten o'clock and he left me at midnight said vaninka ah said the general drawing a deep breath of relief you are a noble girl vaninka and i grant you what you ask two years more but remember it is the emperor who has decided upon this marriage my father will do me the justice to believe that i am too submissive a daughter to be a rebellious subject excellent vaninka excellent said the general so then poor fedor has told you all yes said vaninka you knew that he addressed himself to me first i knew it then it was from him that you heard that your hand was engaged it was from him and he consented to leave you he is a good and noble young man who shall always be under my protection wherever he goes oh if my word had not been given i love him so much that supposing you did not dislike him i should have given him your hand and you cannot recall your promise asked vaninka impossible said the general well then i submit to my father's will said vaninka that is spoken like my daughter said the general embracing her farewell vaninka i do not ask if you love him you have both done your duty and i have nothing more to exact with these words he rose and left the room Anushka was in the corridor the general signed to her that she might go in again and went on his way at the door of his room he found gregory waiting for him well your excellency he asked well said the general you are both right and wrong a fetter loves my daughter but my daughter does not love him he went into my daughter's room at eleven o'clock 
but at midnight he left her for ever. No matter. Come to me tomorrow. You shall have your thousand roubles and your liberty. Gregory went off dumb with astonishment. Meanwhile, Anushka had re-entered her mistress's room as she had been ordered and closed the door carefully behind her. Vaninka immediately sprang out of bed and went to the door, listening to the retreating footsteps of the general. When they had ceased to be heard, she rushed into Anushka's room, and both began to pull aside a bundle of linen thrown down as if by accident into the embrasure of a window. Under the linen was a large chest with a spring lock. Anushka pressed a button. Vaninka raised the lid. The two women uttered a loud cry. The chest was now a coffin. The young officer, stifled for want of air, lay dead within. For a long time the two women hoped it was only a swoon. Anushka sprinkled his face with water. Vaninka put salts to his nose. All was in vain. During the long conversation which the general had had with his daughter, and which had lasted more than half an hour, Fedor, unable to get out of the chest as the lid was closed by a spring, had died for want of air. The position of the two girls shut up with a corpse was frightful. Anushka saw Siberia close at hand. Vaninka, to do her justice, thought of nothing but Fedor. Both were in despair. However, as the despair of the maid was more selfish than that of the mistress, it was Anushka who first thought of a plan of escaping from the situation in which they were placed. "'My lady,' she cried suddenly, "'we are saved.' Vaninka raised her head and looked at her attendant with eyes bathed in tears. "'Saved,' said she. "'Saved? We are, we are perhaps, but, but Fedor. "'Listen now,' said Anushka. "'Your position is terrible. I grant that, and your grief is great. "'But your grief could be greater, and your position more terrible still, if the general knew this.' "'What difference would it make to me?' said Vaninka. I shall weep for him before the whole world. Yes, but you will be dishonored before the whole world. Tomorrow your slaves, and the day after, all St. Petersburg will know that a man died of suffocation while concealed in your chamber. Reflect, my lady, your honor is the honor of your father, the honor of your family. You are right said Vaninka, shaking her head as if to disperse the gloomy thoughts that burdened her brain. "'You are right, but what must we do?' "'Does my lady know my brother Ivan?' "'Yes.' "'We must tell him all.' "'Of what are you thinking?' cried Vaninka. "'To confide in a man? A man, do I say, a serf? A slave?' "'The lower the position of the serf and slave,' The safer will our secret be, since he will have everything to gain by keeping faith with us. Your brother is a drunkard, said Vaninka with mingled fear and disgust. That is true, said Anushka. But where will you find a slave who is not? My brother gets drunk less than most, and is therefore more to be trusted than the others. Besides, in the position in which we are, we must risk something. "'You are right,' said Beninka, recovering her usual resolution, which always grew in the presence of danger. "'Go and seek your brother.' "'We can do nothing this morning,' said Anushka, drawing back the window curtains. "'Look, 
the dawn is breaking but what can we do with the body of this unhappy man cried vaninka it must remain hidden where it is all day and this evening while you are at the court entertainment my brother shall remove it true murmured vaninka in a strange tone i must go to court this evening to stay away would arouse suspicion oh my god my god help me my lady said Anushka. i am not strong enough alone vaninka turned deadly pale but spurred on by the danger she went resolutely up to the body of her lover then lifting it by the shoulders while her maid raised it by the legs she laid it once more in the chest then Anushka shut down the lid locked the chest and put the key into her breast then both threw back the linen which had hidden it from the eyes of the general day dawned as might be expected there sleep visited the eyes of vaninka she went down however at the breakfast hour for she did not wish to arouse the slightest suspicion in her father's mind only it might have been thought from her pallor that she had risen from the grave but the general attributed this to the nocturnal disturbance of which she had been the cause luck had served vaninka wonderfully in prompting her to say that fetter had already gone for not only did the general feel no surprise when he did not appear but his very absence was a proof of his daughter's innocence the general gave a pretext for his aide-de-camp's absence by saying that he had sent him on a mission as for vaninka she remained out of her room till it was time to dress a week before she had been at the court entertainment with fedor vaninka might have excused herself from accompanying her father by feigning some slight indisposition but two considerations made her fear to act thus the first was the fear of making the general anxious and perhaps of making him remain at home himself which would make the removal of the corpse more difficult the second was the fear of meeting ivan and having the blush before a slave she preferred therefore to make a superhuman effort to control herself and going up again into her room accompanied by her faithful anushka she began to dress with as much care as if her heart were full of joy when this cruel business was finished she ordered anushka to shut the door for she wished to see fedor once more and to bid a last farewell to him who had been her lover anushka obeyed and vaninka with flowers in her hair and her breast covered with jewels glided like a phantom into her servant's room anushka again opened the chest and vaninka without shedding a tear without breathing a sigh with the profound and death-like calm of despair leant down towards fitter and took off a plain ring which the young man had on his finger placed it on her own between two magnificent rings then kissing him on the brow she said good-bye my betrothed at this moment she heard steps approaching it was a groom of the chambers coming from the general to ask if she were ready anushka let the lid of the chest fall and vaninka going herself to open the door followed the messenger who walked before her lighting the way such was her trust in her foster sister that she left her to accomplish the dark and terrible task with which she had burdened herself a minute later anushka saw the carriage containing the general and his daughter leave by the main gate of the hotel she let half an hour go by and then went down to look for ivan she found him drinking with gregory with whom the general had kept his word and who had received the same day one thousand roubles and his liberty fortunately the revellers were only beginning their rejoicings and ivan in consequence was sober enough for his sister to entrust her secret to him without hesitation ivan followed anushka into the chamber of her mistress 
There she reminded him of all that Vaninka, haughty but generous, had allowed his sister to do for him. The few glasses of brandy Ivan had already swallowed had predisposed him to gratitude. The drunkenness of the Russian is essentially tender. Ivan protested his devotion so warmly that Anushka hesitated no longer, and raising the lid of the chest showed him the corpse of Fedor. At this terrible sight Ivan remained an instant motionless, but he soon began to calculate how much money and how many benefits the possession of such a secret would bring him. He swore by the most solemn oaths never to betray his mistress, and offered, as Anushka had hoped, to dispose of the body of the unfortunate aide-de-camp. The thing was easily done. Instead of returning to drink with Gregory and his comrades, Ivan went to prepare a sledge, filled it with straw, and hid at the bottom an iron crowbar. He brought this to the outside gate, and assuring himself he was not being spied upon, he raised the body of the dead man in his arms, hid it under the straw, and sat down above it. He had the gate of the hotel opened, followed Newski Street as far as the Zunimeni Church, passed through the shops in the Regisvenskoy district, drove the sledge out on the frozen Neva, and halted in the middle of the river in front of the deserted church of St. Madeleine. There, protected by the solitude and darkness, hidden behind the black mass of his sledge, he began to break the ice which was fifteen inches thick with his pick. When he had made a large enough hole, he searched the body of Fetter, took all the money he had about him, and slipped the body head foremost through the opening he had made. He then made his way back to the hotel, while the imprisoned current of the Neva bore away the corpse toward the Gulf of Finland. An hour after, a new crust of ice had formed, and not even a trace of the opening made by Ivan remained. At midnight, Vaninka returned with her father. A hidden fever had been consuming her all the evening. Never had she looked so lovely and had she been overwhelmed by the homage of the most distinguished nobles and courtiers. When she returned, she found Anushka in the vestibule waiting to take her cloak. As she gave it to her, Vaninka sent her one of those questioning glances that seems to express so much. "'It is done,' said the girl in a low voice. Vaninka breathed a sigh of relief as if a mountain had been removed from her breast. Great as was her self-control, she could no longer bear her father's presence and excused herself from remaining to supper with him on the plea of the fatigues of the evening. Vaninka was no sooner in her room when the door once closed than she tore the flowers from her hair, the necklace from her throat, cut with scissors the corsets which suffocated her, and then throwing herself on her bed she gave way to her grief. Anushka thanked God for this outburst. Her mistress's calmness had frightened her more than her despair. The first crisis over, Vaninka was able to pray. She spent an hour on her knees, then, yielding to the entreaties of her faithful attendant, went to bed. Anushka sat down at the foot of the bed, and neither slept, but when day came the tears which Vaninka had shed had calmed her. Anushka was instructed to reward her brother. Too large a sum given to a slave at once might have aroused suspicion, therefore Anushka contented herself with telling Ivan that when he had need of money he had only to ask her for it. Gregory, profiting by his liberty and wishing to make use of his thousand roubles, bought a little tavern on the outskirts of the town where, thanks to his address and to the acquaintances he had among the servants in the great households of St. Petersburg, he began to develop an excellent business, so that in a short time the Red House— which was the name and color of Gregory's establishment, had a great reputation. Another man took over his duties about the person of the general, but for Fetter's absence everything returned to its usual routine in the house of Count Shermailov.
Two months went by in this way, without anybody having the least suspicion of what had happened, when one morning, before the usual breakfast hour, the general begged his daughter to come down to his room. Vaninka trembled with fear, for since that fatal night everything terrified her. She obeyed her father, and collecting all her strength, made her way to his chamber. The count was alone, but at the first glance Vaninka saw she had nothing to fear from this interview. The general was waiting for her with that paternal smile, which was the usual expression of his countenance when in his daughter's presence. She approached, therefore, with her usual calmness, and stooping down toward the general gave him her forehead to kiss. He motioned to her to sit down and gave her an open letter. Vaninka looked at him for a moment in surprise, then turned her eyes to the letter. It contained the news of the death of the man to whom her hand had been promised. He had been killed in a duel. The general watched the effect of the letter on his daughter's face, and great as was Vaninka's self-control, so many different thoughts, uh, such bitter regret, such poignant remorse assailed her when she learned that she was now free again, that she could not entirely conceal her emotion. The general noticed it and attributed it to the love which he had for a long time suspected his daughter felt for the young aide-de-camp. "'Well,' he said, smiling, "'I see it is all for the best.' "'How is that, father?' asked Vaninka. "'Doubtless,' said the general. "'Did not Fetter leave because he loved you?' "'Yes,' murmured the young girl. "'Well, now he may return.' said the general. Vaninka remained silent, her eyes fixed, her lips trembling. "'Return?' she said after a moment's silence. "'Yes, certainly return. We shall be most unfortunate,' continued the general, smiling. "'If we cannot find someone in the house who knows where he is, come, Vaninka, tell me the place of his exile, and I will undertake the rest.' "'Nobody knows where Fedor is,' murmured Vaninka in a hollow voice. "'Nobody but God. Nobody.' "'What?' said the general. "'He has sent you no news since the day he left?' Vaninka shook her head in denial. She was so heartbroken that she could not speak. The general in his turn became gloomy. "'Do you fear some misfortune, then?' said he. "'I fear that I shall never be happy again on earth,' cried Beninka, giving way under the pressure of her grief. Then she continued at once. "'Let me retire, father. I am ashamed of what I have said.' The general, who saw nothing in this exclamation beyond regret for having allowed the confession of her love to escape her, kissed his daughter on the brow and allowed her to retire. He hoped that, in spite of the mournful way in which Vaninka had spoken of Fyodor, that it would be possible to find him. The same day he went to the emperor and told him of the love of Fyodor for his daughter, and requested, since death had freed her from her first engagement, that he might dispose of her hand. The emperor consented, and the general then solicited a further favor. Paul was in one of his kindly moods, and showed himself disposed to grant it. The general told him that Fyodor had disappeared for two months that everyone, even his daughter, was ignorant of his whereabouts, and begged him to have inquiries made. The emperor immediately sent for the chief of police, and gave him the necessary orders. Six weeks went by without any result. Vaninka, since the day when the letter came, was sadder and more melancholy than ever. 
Vainly from time to time the general tried to make her more hopeful. Vaninka only shook her head and withdrew. The general ceased to speak of Fedor. But it was not the same among the household. The young aide-de-camp had been popular with the servants, and with the exception of Gregory there was not a soul who wished him harm, so that when it became known that he had not been sent on a mission, but had disappeared, the matter became the constant subject of conversation in the antechamber, the kitchen, and the stables. There was another place where people busied themselves about it a great deal. This was the Red House. From the day when he heard of Fedor's mysterious departure, Gregory had his suspicions. He was sure that he had seen Fedor enter Vaninka's room, and unless he had gone out while he was going to seek the general, he did not understand why the latter had not found him in his daughter's room. Another thing occupied his mind, which it seemed to him might perhaps have some connection with this event. The amount of money Ivan had been spending since that time, a very extraordinary amount for a slave. This slave, however, was the brother of Vaninka's cherished foster sister, so that without being sure, Gregory already suspected the source from whence this money came. Another thing confirmed him in his suspicions, which was that Ivan, who had not only remained his most faithful friend, but had become one of his best customers, never spoke of Fedor, held his tongue if he were mentioned in his presence, and to all questions, however pressing they were, made but one answer. Let us speak of something else. In the meantime, the Feast of Kings arrived. This is a great day in St. Petersburg, for it is also the day for blessing the waters. As Vaninka had been present at the ceremony, and was fatigued after standing for two hours on the Neva, the general did not go out that evening and gave Ivan leave to do so. Ivan profited by the permission to go to the Red House. There was a numerous company there, and Ivan was welcomed, for it was known that he generally came with full pockets. This time he did not belie his reputation, and had scarcely arrived before he made the Sora Kopecks ring, to the great envy of his companions. At this warning sound, Gregory hastened up, with all possible deference, a bottle of brandy in each hand, for he knew that when Ivan summoned him he gained in two ways, as innkeeper and as boon companion. Ivan did not disappoint these hopes, and Gregory was invited to share in the entertainment. The conversation turned on slavery, and some of the unhappy men, who had only four days in the year of respite from their eternal labor, talked loudly of the happiness Gregory had enjoyed since he had obtained his freedom. "'Bah!' said Ivan, on whom the brandy had begun to take effect. "'There are some slaves who are freer than their masters.' "'What do you mean?' said Gregory, pouring him out another glass of brandy. "'I meant to say happier,' said Ivan quickly. "'It is difficult to prove that,' said Gregory doubtingly. "'Why difficult?' Our masters, the moment they are born, are put into the hands of two or three pedants, one French, another German, and a third English, and whether they like them or not, they must be content with their society till they are seventeen, and whether they wish to or not, must learn three barbarous languages at the expense of our noble Russian tongue, which they have sometimes completely forgotten by the time the others are acquired. Again, if one of them wishes for some career, he must become a soldier. If he is a sub-lieutenant, he is the slave of the lieutenant. If he is a lieutenant, he is the slave of a captain. 
and the captain of the major and so on up to the emperor who is nobody's slave but who one fine day is surprised at the table while walking or in his bed and is poisoned stabbed or strangled if he chooses a civil career it is much the same he marries a wife does not love her children come to him he knows not how whom he has to provide for he must struggle incessantly to provide for his family if he is poor and if he is rich to prevent himself from being robbed by his steward and cheated by his tenants is this life while we gentlemen we are born and that is the only pain we cost our mothers all the rest is the master's concern he provides for us he chooses our calling always easy enough to learn if we are not quite idiots are we ill his doctor attends us gratis it is a loss to him if we die are we well we have our four certain meals a day and a good stove to sleep near at night uh, do we fall in love there is never any hindrance to our marriage if the woman loves us the master asks himself us to hasten our marriage for he wishes us to have as many children as possible and when the children are born he does for them in their turn all he has done for us can you find me many great lords as happy as their slaves all this is true said gregory pouring him out another glass of brandy but after all you are not free <clears throat> free to do what asked ivan free to go where you will and when you will i am as free as the air replied ivan nonsense said gregory free as the air i tell you for i have good masters and above all a good mistress continued ivan with a significant smile and i have only to ask and it is done what if after having got drunk here to-day you ask to come back to-morrow to get drunk again said gregory who in his challenge to ivan did not forget his own interests if you asked that i should come back again said ivan to-morrow said gregory to-morrow the day after every day if i liked the fact is ivan is our young lady's favorite said another of the count's slaves who was present profiting by his comrade ivan's liberality it is all the same said gregory for supposing such permission were given you money would soon run short never said ivan swallowing another glass of brandy never will ivan want for money as long as there is a kopeck in my lady's purse i did not find her so liberal said gregory bitterly oh you forget my friend you know well she does not reckon with her friends oh, remember the strokes of the knout i have no wish to speak about that said gregory i know that she is generous with blows but her money is another thing i have never seen the color of that well would you like to see the color of mine 
said Ivan, getting more and more drunk. See here, here are kopecks, sarak kopecks, uh, blue notes worth five roubles, red notes worth twenty-five roubles, and tomorrow, if you like, I will show you white notes worth fifty roubles. Uh, health to my lady Vaninka. And Ivan held out his glass again, and Gregory filled it to the brim. But does money, said Gregory, pressing Ivan more and more, does money make up for scorn? Scorn? said Ivan. Scorn? Who scorns me? To you, because you are free? <laughs> Fine freedom! I would rather be a well-fed slave than a free man dying of hunger. I mean the scorn of our masters, replied Gregory. Oh, the scorn of our masters. Ask Alexis, ask Daniel there, if my lady scorns me. The fact is, said the two slaves in reply, who both belonged to the general's household, Ivan must certainly have a charm, for everyone talks to him as if to a master. Because he is Anushka's brother, said Gregory, and Anushka is my lady's foster sister. That may be so, said the two slaves. For that reason, or for some other, said Ivan, but in short, th that is the case. Yes, but if your sister should die, said Gregory, ah! If my sister should die, that would be a pity, for she is a good girl. I drink to her health, but if she should die, that would make no difference. I am respected for myself. They respect me because they fear me. Fear my lord Ivan, <laughs> said Gregory with a loud laugh. It follows, then, that if my lord Ivan were tired of receiving orders and gave them in his turn, my lord Ivan would be obeyed. Perhaps, said Ivan. He said perhaps, repeated Gregory, laughing louder than ever. He said perhaps. Do you hear him? Yes, said the slaves who had drunk so much that they could only answer in monosyllables. Well, I no longer say perhaps. I now say for certain. Oh, I should like to see that, said Gregory. I would give something to see that. Well, send away these, these fellows, who are getting drunk like pigs, and for nothing you will find. For nothing, said Gregory. You are jesting. Do you think I should give them drink for nothing? Well, we shall see. How much would be their score for your atrocious brandy? If they drank from now till midnight, then you are obliged to shut up your tavern. Not less than twenty roubles. Here are thirty. Turn there out. Let us remain by ourselves. Friends, said Gregory, taking out his watch as if to look at the time. It is just upon midnight. You know the governor's orders, so you must go. The men, habituated like all Russians to passive obedience, went without a murmur, and Gregory found himself alone with Ivan and the two other slaves of the general. End of section 3. Recording by John Van Stan. Savannah, Georgia.